Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. So glad that you're here, whether you're in this room, the West Room, or whether you're next door in the East Room with the Joyland. It's great to have you. Or if you're online from home or somewhere else around the world today, we're really glad that you're here. And before I get going, I just want to give a shout out to one other group of people because I'm uh, always conspicuously aware that there's this group of people, particularly on a special day like Christmas Eve, and truth be told, if you were asked, you would say, yeah, I'm not just so jazzed about being at church. I'm mostly here to make her happy. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a neighbor. And I just want to say in their behalf, in case they forget to say, hey, thanks for coming. Let me say thanks for coming and making their Christmas a little bit um, better. You've honored that person in your life, and roundaboutly, you're honoring us as well, and it's, it's great to have you. So, uh, let's see. We're talking about today, receive the gift of Christmas. They sent me that theme, the, the, uh, the creative team, back around September or October and said, how do you feel about writing a sermon for this theme? I said, it sounds great. Receive the gift of Christmas. Just tell me what's the gift. Not really. I knew what the gift was. And I bet that you know what the gift is. Even if you don't come to church very much, you probably know what the gift is that we're going to talk about. Sort of, uh, uh, I guess, reminding me of, of the well-worn story of the little boy that went to church with his, with his parents. They, they dropped him off in the kids' ministry. And there he was in Sunday school. And the, and the teacher said, now, children, could one of you please tell me what is gray and furry, eats nuts, scampers up and down telephone poles and across electrical lines? There was silence, and finally, one of the boys sheepishly raised his hands and said, well, it sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. <laughs> and so you wouldn't be wrong if you think it's Jesus that we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> and he's the gift of Christmas. But I don't want to talk so much about the, the where and the how of Christmas, but more the what and the why. And try to get underneath it a little bit today. Uh, let's back up and, and, and see if we can end up understanding what does it mean and why does it matter, this whole Christmas thing. For centuries, we know that the Jewish prophets had foretold that there was going to be a savior, a messiah that was going to come. They just didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. But you can certainly be uh, sure that the characters who were going to become best supporting actors in this whole drama that we just saw reenacted a moment ago, they couldn't have in their wildest imaginations have dreamed that they were going to become best supporting actors in the life of our Savior Jesus coming into the world. But there you have them. You have one unwed, uh, pregnant teenage mother-to-be called Mary, and the one to whom she is betrothed, Joseph, to whom she has just explained, I am pregnant, and it's because of God and the Holy Spirit. And you can just imagine, he's thinking that is the most outlandish explanation. Mary, that is not the way it happens, and you know it's not the way it happens. But there they are, and 
They're taking a trip. Their water breaks in the most untimely of situations, places, and in the most inglorious and insanitary of settings. The Savior is going to come. Let's read from Matthew chapter 1. I'll read, you can listen. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. And the virgin, quoting Isaiah, and the virgin will give, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, you have to picture that scene, of course, once more. There they are in the most unlikely of, uh, of places, and it's insanitary. You have barn animals with their drool and their poop all around them, and you just almost can, can hear Mary saying, Joseph, this cow just staring at me, he's kind of creeping me out. Could you just push him off to the side a little bit? And the time has come. Now look again at that verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you brought your Bible today, and if you write in your Bible, and I hope that you do, you should circle that word Emmanuel and what it means, God with us. And the reason I want us to focus on that phrase today is because you have to understand that people back then it just wouldn't have computed whatsoever that the very God of the universe, the one true God, would actually take on flesh and blood, come into this broken planet of ours as a person. It still doesn't compute if you are familiar with any of the other major world religions or maybe you come from a Muslim background and you know in Islam there's one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. But it would be anathema in Islam to think of God coming in human form, so pedestrian, so approachable to be talked to and touched here on earth. And yet Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human Likeness. You're not going to find this, not in traditional Hinduism, not in Buddhism. You wouldn't even find it in Judaism. Moses, ask him. He was about as top of the line as you can get. And you ask him, and he said, you know, the truth of the matter is, I asked God, I said, I'll do what you're asking me to do, God, but would you just let me see your presence? Let me just see your face. What did God tell him? No. No, that would just be too much glory. It, 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 no, I'm not going to do that. And yet, more than 1,000 years later and 2,000 years ago, in what Paul calls the fullness of time, God says, now, now's the time for me to reveal myself 
to you. And I'm going to do it in the only form that you could imagine. I'm going to incarnate myself into a human. And I'm going to start out at the youngest of phases as a baby. But so many people missed him because they were looking the other direction. That's not what they were looking for in a savior. They were looking for something strong and powerful and mighty and like soldier, you know, and, and, but that's not how he came. And so by darkness of night, he slipped into this planet, not on a heavenly chariot or with fanfare, but as a helpless little baby. And this brings to mind the question that I've been pondering. I want you to ponder it with me as well. What must it have felt like to the heavenly father to for the first time in millennia send his son away because we know that they were together from the very beginning father son and holy spirit from the very beginning but now he's going to send him on this mission i've wondered what must that have felt like to the heavenly father now if you're in uh, a parent you know that we parents what you mean kind of the object of the game is to is to help our our, our children to, to grow up in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and other people and, and to, 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 to learn right from wrong and truth from falsehood and learn how to navigate the world and so that they can finally grow up and get out on their own. That's the goal, right? Now, I've known that just like you know that. But I realized how theoretical my knowledge of it was until it happened to me for the first time existentially in August, because it was in August that our firstborn, his name is Wesley, packed up and headed off for college in Florida. And I guess I just hadn't seen that coming uh, emotionally the way that it would come. Oh, I mean, I'd seen stuff getting packed up in the hallways and, and building a big stack. And finally, the day before, oh, and by the way, you can see uh, there's Wesley on the right. And if, uh, if we didn't send you a Christmas card, which we probably didn't, uh, <laughs> there's only a few thousand, but the, the, Merry Christmas. And so uh, from the Warlines, and so there's Wesley on the right. And <clears throat> so the day before we're to drive out, Suzanne and I and, and Wesley, uh, we, we packed the SUV stuffed to the gills. And the next morning, uh, Suzanne's father, we call granddad, he came over because he was going to stay with William, who was then 15, driving to school and all that for the week that we were gone. And granddad got over to our house that morning, and, and I said, well, granddad, before we head out, why don't you say a prayer for our family? So the five of us held hands, and, and, and he prayed a lovely prayer. And no sooner had he said amen that I looked up and my then 15-year-old, William, the middle linebacker weighing in at 210, with his big, strong arms, he's sobbing. And he reaches over and he embraces the only brother that he ever had his whole life since he came home from the hospital and Wesley was three. And seeing this... And you have to understand, William doesn't cry very much. I mean, he kind of makes other people cry the way he hits them uh, in football. And, and Suzanne looks at me, and she has a lump in her throat, and I have a lump in my throat, so we all kind of fold back onto the sofa. And 
hugged and cried it out for another 15 minutes and then finally pulled ourselves together and headed off. And two days later, we were in Florida and the dorm was unlocked and, and we went in and I forgot how ugly a bare dorm room is. Just a cinder block cell. And I was like, whoa. And, but Suzanne, she started in on her magic and she started putting all this stuff up. And she said, by the way, I need you to go to Target uh, to, so you can get me this, this, and this. So I went and got the, this, this, and this. And no sooner I got back, she said, I need to go to Target and, and get that, that, and that. And so I went and got that. And I, all in, I think I went three or four times to Target. And uh, because she just wanted to make it just right before we would leave. About two days later, we go back over uh, once more. And it was about then Wesley looked at us and said, so, mom and dad, how much longer do you think you'll be sticking around? <laughs> and I looked at her and said, I think that's our sign. And so we hugged once more and walked out the sidewalk and got in the car and, and drove away, leaving a big part of our heart in that dorm, getting smaller and smaller in the rear view mirror. And I share that because I found myself um, thinking all sorts of thoughts. I mean, we've been feeling it as a family. So I suppose it took two or three weeks for us to sit down at dinner back here before we could uh, have dinner without asking, what do you think Wesley's eating tonight for dinner? And what do you think his favorite class is? And who do you think his favorite professor is? And do you think he'd want us to FaceTime him again? Because that's just how it works, right? When, when a big part of your heart is somewhere else. And when Jesus left heaven and came to earth carrying neither luggage nor a stitch of clothing, entrusted to the hands of an inexperienced teenage mom who would wrap him in the simplest of swaddling clothes and lay him in a feeding trough. I've had to wonder how the Heavenly Father must have felt. Of course, we can't really know the answer to that question this side of heaven, but there is a, a question we certainly can know the answer to, and that's the why. Why did he send his son into this sin-fallen world? I'll tell you why. Because in the beginning when God created humanity, he made us to be virtuous and good and pure and gracious and loving and forgiving and generous and faithful and all sorts of good virtues. But our spiritual parents, they made a choice way back and they rebelled against God. And his plan, and they said, no, nope, we think we'll carve out our own plan instead and take a different pathway. And when they did, everything that had been created in perfection was shattered. And all of us, whoever came after them, we've likewise taken that path. And we've all gone astray. And so there's a verse in Romans that is absolutely right. That says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is the story of your life and my life. There's this dark, twisted force, a senator 
sinister power of evil that just resides inside of us. And we try not to acknowledge the reality of this. And we actually try to convince ourselves, I'm not that bad. I'm certainly not as bad as that person over there. We do that kind of rationalizing. Sort of like the, the, the little letter I've read to you before about the boy who wrote Santa. And he said, dear Santa, in our home we have three boys. Jeffrey, who's two, and David, who's five, and Norman, who's seven. And Jeffrey's good some of the time, and David's good some of the time. But Norman, he's good all of the time. And I am Norman. <laughs> oh, how we'd like to think we're all Norman. But in actuality, we're not. Because this force of sin has infected all of our souls. And all you need to have as proof, if you say, well, I, I don't think, I don't know if it's gotten to me. Yes, just press pause the next time you hear yourself hollering at your spouse or hollering at one of your children or if you're a child, hollering at your parents or if you drive in Houston, hollering at a lot of people. <laughs> you need more proof that sin has befallen you? Press pause the next time you find yourself lusting after someone or looking at something on your device that you know, I don't think I'd really want anybody else to see me looking at this or gossiping about somebody or denying that you did gossip about someone or cheating on a test or lying to a friend. See, all of these things again and again and again prove true that verse in Romans. All of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And there's severe consequences for our sin in that we are severed in our connection to God because there's no sin in him. And so there's a rift. There's a divide. And sin separates us from other people. You know that. If you've sinned against other people, you're like, it feels really bad right now. Sin separates us from ourself and makes us feel like we're, sort of coming disintegrated. And the problem is sin has all of us in a headlock and you can't get out on your own. Try as you would. And that's the problem. We can't fix it. And that's why we need a savior. And in Jesus, we have that savior because he the one sent from the Father is the only one who ever came and lived the life of sinless perfection that you and I wish we could live. And then he died the death of punishment that all of us deserve to die. But he said, I'll stand in for you and I'll take the punishment for your sins. And then on the third day, the Father raised him to life, signifying if you would tether yourself to him by faith and let what he's done for you be absorbed into your life so that your sin might be absorbed off of you into him. He says you too can have life, abundant now and everlasting eternally but some people think well I, I i think i get that i've i've heard that whole deal that's kind of what christianity is about it's it's kind of like a transaction right now that would be to underestimate the power of this savior 
Is there a transactional aspect? Well, yeah, I guess so. But he didn't come to save us transactionally. He came to save us personally. And that goes back to this name that we're talking about, Emmanuel, God with us. Let me illustrate. If you're a parent, you know one of the first fears that most kiddos have is that fear of the dark, of being alone at night and wondering which monsters are in the closet. And you, 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 you do this little thing a few times. And, and so let me just give you a little quiz. Option A, B, or C. Option A, we're talking about what's the best solution. Option A, pull your child aside, look them in the eye, and say, Honey, how many times do I have to explain to you? That is illogical. There are no monsters, period, let alone in your closet. B, you get a little nightlight and you plug it into the wall. Or C, you say, you know what, honey, just scoot over and let me lie down with you for a few minutes. Which one are they going to take every time? C, of course. But because we want someone with us. But what do you do when uh, you get so big mom or dad can't fit in the bed anymore? And what do you do if, if, if mom or dad aren't around anymore see that's that's the question that we have to ask ourselves what do you do when you lose your job what do you do if a marriage unravels someone rejects you or forsakes you what do you do when somebody that you love so much breathes their last and it feels like a part of you has died on the inside as well isn't it there that we deeply want someone to journey with us? We want somebody who, who says, I, I'll walk through this with you. Ideally, somebody who's even gone through the same and prevailed. Because it's then we can say, okay, if you can go through this and you prevail, then maybe I can go through this and I can. And that's where we have support groups and we have the church and brothers and sisters. And, and those are all great. And we need all of those. But there is not one person who can cover all of those shortcomings and those pains that I just listed. But there is one. And that is Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. Think about it. Are you going to be moving somewhere this next year? Some of you have told me we're moving. And you've got mixed emotions. It's like it's, we're kind of excited, but we're kind of terrified because we're leaving behind everything that we, it's familiar. And Jesus knows what it feels like to move. He moved out of heaven for your sake. You felt betrayed by someone this year? Jesus, he went through betrayal as well. You've been lacking in money or perhaps even homeless. Say hello to Jesus. That is pretty much how he lived. Hand to mouth. You felt lonely or isolated. Jesus knows about that very much. You ever felt like your prayers just aren't being answered like you're offered one up and it just keeps getting turned down 
even Jesus, he's even experienced that. Remember the night that before he would go to the cross in Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, could we do the deal in a different way? And what did the Father say? No. Have you faced illness or even death? Jesus even went through that. So don't you see, no matter how rough it's been in your life, particularly this year or just ever, Jesus has been through the same. And he's triumphed. And in so doing, he's, he's carved out a pathway for you and me, but he's done one better. He's carved out the pathway, but it doesn't just say, here, follow this map. If you'll follow the map, you'll, you'll kind of get through on your own. Just kind of stay close to the map. No, he backs up and says, yes, I have gone through that, and I've prevailed, and now I'm going to back up, and I will journey with you through the same, if you would let me. Why? Because I am Emmanuel, God with us. So if, uh, if you're... Well, probably most of us uh, can only remember one monarch in the country of England until last year. And that was Queen Elizabeth II. She was on the throne for 70 years and, uh, until she died it, uh, last year. But, but I had never really read much about where she came from. And so I was reading, and you probably know this, but, but I was reading how uh, her father... His name was George VI. He was King George VI. And see, he was monarch during the 1930s and the 1940s during World War II. And I read that one of the things that endeared King George to his countrymen was that during World War II, when Hitler's bombers were just flying over and just pelting England relentlessly with all the bombs, he insisted on not taking his family and fleeing for their own safety. He said, no, we're gonna stay with our countrymen. And he stayed, and it nearly cost him his life. They barely escaped when one day the bombs hit the, the courtyard of Buckingham Palace, and they barely escaped. And then once after an air raid, they say that King George went out into the community and he was personally just picking his way through the rubble and the debris. Uh, and as he was doing that, inspecting the bombed-out section of the city for himself, an elderly man, a citizen, looked over and recognized him. And he walked over to King George, and he said, with a tear in his eye, you? <laughs> out here? Even in the midst of all of this, you're still here with us. Surely, you are a good king. And he was. And we know one who is even better. Jesus. Who didn't abandon us either to our sin-fallen world as the shrapnel of sin was raining down on this world, he said, I, I'm not packing out. I'm moving in so that I can bring you through this because I am Emmanuel. And I'll tell you why I'm so passionate about this. 
Because I'm, I'm, the more I go in life and the more I do ministry and the more conversations I have with people, I'm convinced that there's any number of people and probably any number of you hearing my voice right now who you hear a message like this and you say, well, that's very nice. And you nod approvingly and say, okay, well, you know, that one, that one's pretty good. But deep down, you have a fear. And that fear is, but I know that somewhere hiding behind the back of Jesus is the real God who's going to pop out. And that's the God I don't like. And that's the reason I don't want to be in church. That's the reason I don't even like the thought of this because you talk about this Jesus and that sounds pretty nice. But I, I just know, I know, I know the way it's going to be. And what I would want you to realize today is no, there's no other God hiding around the backside of Jesus. What did Jesus himself say? I and the Father are one. Anybody who's seen me has seen the Father. And so I'm, I'm just telling you, friends, if that could drop deep into your soul, your distorted concepts of God misconceptions about him could be healed and something new could be sparked into life within you. That's what I want for you. So I wonder, do you know this Jesus, Emmanuel? Do you know him? Many of you, you do and, and you, like I, could say, I do know him, and I have seen how many times he's come and been with me and journeyed with me. In fact, some of you have told me, many of you have told me over the years, I can imagine going through this without God in my life. But there's any number of you who say, no, I'm not sure I ever did that before. Today could be your day. A day in which you just say to him, I want you to come into my life. You say, how do you do that? You, you simply tell him. It's called prayer. And you just say, Jesus, as much of me as I understand, I want to invite as much of you as I understand to come into my life right now through the power of your Holy Spirit. Just move inside of me and forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of unrighteousness and fill me full of new life and purpose and hope and do a new work within me. And what my hope is, is that you would do that. And in so doing, that you would experience the, the streams of living water that he wants to have flowing within you. And so, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to pray as well. To open your heart and to say, today is my Christmas. I'm trusting in him. Because if you would, then it could also be said, you have received the gift of Christmas. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for coming into this world 
You certainly didn't have to. You certainly could have just crumpled us up like a wad of paper and thrown us in the trash can, but you didn't. You didn't give up on us. You said, I'm going to come and fix the problem you could never fix, even though you caused it. And I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be Emmanuel to you. Lord, I pray that even now you would be doing a new work. Some here, Lord, have journeyed with you for years and years. And I pray that you'll just continue to make those streams of living water bubble up within. Others here, they're thinking to themselves, you know, this was good for me to hear because I've known this and I've experienced this before. Um, but I've gotten away from it. And I need to, to come back to it. I pray that today would be a renewing day for them. And for those who've never said in the first place yes to you. God, I'm, I'm praying even in this moment, even as we light the, the, the sparks of the candles, that those would be the people saying, I want you to light something anew inside of my heart. And friend, you can do that, like I just said, by saying, Lord, I'm just asking you to come in. And I'm going to learn what it means to follow you, and to trust in you, and to live a life that's guided by you. Because I want to know you, Emmanuel, personally. And we pray these things in your strong name, Jesus. Amen.